Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Touchdown. All about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello and welcome into the Revenge of the Birds podcast, your complete cards coverage. My name is Blake Murphy. You can find me on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7. I am the co-host, joined as always by my co-host, back from the two-week break in time for uh, a busy day of NFL free agency. We have at Johnny Venerable, the venerable John Venerable as I call him, and John, we've got multiple Cardinal signings to talk about. Free agency is in full swing. Before we get into the big trades, deals, and transactions. How are you doing, and uh, how are you liking Arizona so far? <laughs> oh, I'm loving it, brother. I, I had a chance to get settled in. We were actually traveling right as the J.J. Watt news broke, so I felt very much left out of the party as you and the rest of our cohorts at RevengeOfTheBirds.com got to discuss that news, but I'm making up for lost time over the course of the last three days, and especially today. We're recording this on Thursday, and it's been the bulk of of the Cardinals' free agent activity, at least up until this point, Blake, with multiple signings and it probably their most emphatic trade, or certainly their most emphatic trade, since the Hopkins deal of last year. Excited to break it all down with you. It was a boring start to the free agency period for the Arizona Cardinals. We were a bit spoiled because the big splash uh, acquisition had already happened the week prior with the likes of J.J. Watt. Uh, like you said, let's open that up with the biggest news that you can find for the most part with the cards. You're talking about the trade of a third-round pick to the Oakland Raiders for Rodney Hudson. Coming on the heels of the Arizona Cardinals, missing out on Corey Lindsley. Um, Lindsley ends up signing a five-year deal for, I believe it's something like $68 million dollars with the Los Angeles Chargers. So the Cardinals pivoted. We heard some news late just after Lindsley had signed as yeah, $62.5 million for Corey. Uh, we had heard that, and we can talk a little bit more about some of this, John, about how I had thought that the biggest competition for Arizona would have always been, if not re-signed by the Packers, you're looking at teams that had just seen their starting center retire. The Chargers were one of those teams. Uh, and he ends up going to the Chargers. We do, however, get at least a respite from that, the disappointment Cardinals fans had felt after multiple kind of almost weeks of hyping up getting a Pro Bowl caliber center and by all accounts the best 
center in the NFL last year, according to Pro Football Focus, to seeing the Oakland Raiders, for whatever reason, moving on from their Pro Bowl center, Rodney Hudson. He had apparently requested uh, to be released. The team had put out that he was going to uh, be let go. And at that point, there was just a hullabaloo of Raiders fans who were just basically in tears over losing what seems like the majority of their line. Instead of hitting free agency, however, the Cardinals work out a trade or able to acquire him for the cost of a third-round pick and gain back a seventh-round pick. So same number of picks, just a bit of a drop-off. And, John, this is kind of the off-season move. The Cardinals, if you're talking about Watt being the splash signing on the defensive line, this is certainly the not just a splash signing on the offensive line, but provides Kyler Murray with some stability that he probably has not had to this point in his career. Yeah, it's been a stressful last couple of days surrounding this position. I think we always felt like, you know, the corner market, the receiver market would play itself out to the Cardinals' benefit, and that some of that has still yet to transpire. But we feel good about where those two positions are at in terms of the free agent pool of candidates. It was more so centered around the center, no pun intended. You knew the Cardinals were going to attempt to upgrade a position that plagued them each of the last three seasons. Um, and I really felt like we both did that their number one free agent target coming into this market was Corey Lindsley. And we chronicled it, if you follow us on tr- Twitter, earlier in the week and basically, you know, denounced that the Cardinals felt like they were in a good place with Corey and his reps. You know, I even put out some some contract details that were being discussed at the time. And for whatever reason, that fell through. And, well, we know the reason. Tom Telesco went big, almost $13 million per season for the 30-year-old Lindsley. And the Cardinals had to pivot. And I, I think they felt pretty good about their chances of securing him, especially when you look at what the Cards had to offer Lindsley uh, from a personnel standpoint, being able to play with Kyler Murray and some of the skilled players that the Cardinals have. Sean Kugler is a very well-revered offensive line coach. He opts to go to L.A. with the Chargers, and the Cardinals were kind of left scrambling. And thankfully, the Raiders, once again, do Arizona a big solid ahead of free agency. This harkens back to when they released or opted not to pick up the the contract year for Jared Valdir, allowing him to hit the free agent market. The Cardinals then subsequently signed him the first day of free agency. The Raiders helped the Cardinals trade up for Josh Rosen. While that didn't work out particularly well, it still worked out in the sense that, you know, they, they consummated that trade. The Raiders helped the Cardinals get Carson Palmer not too long ago. And now the Raiders and the Cardinals have a deal for the all-pro center Rodney Hudson. Now, a little bit of context behind Hudson's situation It was leaked out yesterday that he was going to be released. Twitter was amok. People were freaking out. Why would a player like this even sniff the free agent market? What is Gruden doing? You know, and and Gruden's liable just to do just about anything. He traded Khalil Mack. He gave up picks for Antonio Brown. He took Cleland Farrell for. So I chalked it up as much to that. And this is not Mike Mayock. This is John Gruden pulling the strings for the Las Vegas Raiders. And so I think that once they felt like, okay, maybe there's a market to trade him. Yeah, you think there'd be a market to trade a top three center in, in pro football. They kind of opened up the the phones a little bit, or it seemed like they did over the last 24 hours. And, you know, initially people might think that 
a third round pick for a soon to be 32 year old center is not great value. Everything that I was hearing kind of reading the tea leaves is that Rodney Hudson was very much going to test the free agent market if he was going to be released. And he asked for his release. Multiple sources have confirmed that media members alike. Kansas City was going to be a major player for him. That's where he started his career. He was drafted there. They've got Andy Reid. They've got Patrick Mahomes. They, they had a, a ton of, of incentives for him to go back there. And so I think it, it benefited the Cardinals that the Raiders got on the phone, and they helped themselves, of course, with the third-round pick. But they didn't want to see Rodney Hudson go to Kansas City in their own division and maul them for the next three to four years. And so Kyman and Gruden, who have a relationship, got together and panged out this deal. And what it gives Arizona is stability up front. It gives them a player that's only surrendered three sacks total since 2015. I think I read a stat the other day. Arizona's given up the most sacks by a center during that span. It gives them physicality. It allows them to potentially go young at guard with Josh Jones and Justin Murray. We still have to see what happens with Justin Pugh and his nearly $11 million cap hit. And now that you have Kelvin Beecham back in the fold at right tackle, this is the best combination of tackle, center, tackle that the Cardinals have had in probably two decades. They have not had a center like this, certainly since they've moved to Arizona. The amount of praise that the Cardinals are receiving, even giving up a third-round pick for a player such as this, I think you te- tells you everything you, you need to know about the kind of player that they're receiving, the fact that they go up against fearsome fronts, especially when you think about Aaron Donald and the L.A. Rams, the fact that they were horrendous on short yardage conversions last year, that Kyler Murray got hurt in Week 17 last year when Mason Cole missed a block on a backup Ram defensive tackle. Most of the pressure that was surrendered to the Cardinal offensive line that was good a year ago was done on the interior. Now you've subtracted Mason Cole and J.R. Sweezy from the starting lineup and potentially Justin Pugh, and you're adding athletic, high-proven caliber players like Rodney Hudson. I'm high on Justin Murray. Josh Jones was a high caliber draft pick in the third round. There's a ton of upside with this unit, and it starts with Hudson. Had they not been able to secure Hudson, Blake, it would have been dire straits at the position. Alex Mack went to San Francisco on a two-year deal earlier in the day. David Andrews is said to be on his way to Miami to sign with the Miami Dolphins. So you would have been left with Nick Martin, who had the equal pro football focus grade to that of Mason Cole last year, or a draft pick. And I just, Kime needed to make this move. I thought and speculated on Twitter that a third round pick would be what it would take because there's no way Kansas City could trump that. And of course, they're not going to deal within their own division. And that's what it took. A third round pick, Cardinals get back a throwaway seventh and an all pro center. Uh, and they called, well, they called it a day at that point, and then they made a couple other moves. But anxious to hear your thoughts on it, Blake. Yeah, the biggest thing, at least, that was the takeaway. Um, and, and a lot of it is just the absolute shock that a player of Rodney Hudson's caliber was available. You look through at least different tweets that are there um, with uh, at Field Yates. Like, I don't say this lightly. He's in conversation for the most reliable offensive lineman in the league. Anchor in the middle of the field, still playing great at 32. Uh, you have uh, about, I think it was three sacks that he's given up over about, how many, let me see how many thousands of snaps. It's like a ridiculous, uh, yeah, 3,445 pass blocking snaps 
three sacks allowed since 2015. He's got the highest center grade since 2015 from Pro Football Focus. And when you look at like the teams that could need a center, Bill Barnwell listed half the teams in the league. That did include the Cardinals. And uh, Peter Schrager giving a little bit of insight and said that the Cardinals are monitoring the Hudson situation before it was made public. We do know that Corey Lindsley was signed uh, approximately... I'd probably say like in the morning, probably somewhere around 11 o'clock a.m. or so. And it was within the hour that Rodney Hudson, at least, was suddenly said to be made available. What's interesting to me is that, and this is kind of something we can talk about, when it comes to ideas of like insides or insider information, John and I are not like, we don't get paid to be insiders if there's information that's there. I usually sit on my hands with it because, you know, there's some stuff that we get that's right, some stuff we get that's wrong. I think back a lot to the Kyler Murray, Josh Rosen situation where we had a bunch of insiders who checked in with the Cardinals organization when those Kyler Murray rumors started up and literally the only person who said there may be a little bit more to it on that day on the 21st was Schefter who didn't quite dismiss it right away. But most of the team sources said, no, that's not going to happen. They wouldn't do that. Fast forward to maybe about a month or so later, things trickled out, and then it went into full swing. Uh, John and I, there was a lot of times when it comes to, you know, talking to insiders, sometimes the source that you'll have, whether it's hearing stuff secondhand, despite how fast things move in the NFL, like you could literally have someone who's calling on the line about one player while you're negotiating with another. Suddenly something pops up. There's a lot that goes into each of those things. Um, the one that I remember in particular was I struggled to believe the Kyler Murray situation was real up until I talked to someone who was like, yeah, well, okay, well, where's this coming from? It's like, well, the leak is this person in Kyler's camp. And it was like, oh, as soon as that was like put, it was almost made immediately clear that there was a lot more to this than met the eye versus just trying to, you know, drum up attention or drop all these fake interest. And I think that was in a similar situation here with Lindsley. You look especially, John, at how uh, Joe Tooney was signed and it was like within, I think, 30 or so minutes we heard all of a sudden that Lindsley was kind of starting to slip away. You even, I think, speculated in our group text that if the Cardinals had not gotten that deal done with the whole offseason to go to kind of, you know, negotiate off the record, that the Cardinals probably weren't going to get it done. Sure enough, everything that we'd heard about was, all right, maybe about $10 million, $10.5 or so. Suddenly it jumps up to 13 and makes a lot of sense why the Cardinals jumped out you know, we'd heard it could go up to $12 million, that they'd be right there. Obviously, many have talked about how Lindsley's got a teammate that he's played with before in Brian Balaga for the Chargers. And it makes sense now that the Cardinals jumped out because they probably at least knew to some degree that Hudson was going to be available. And I think what has turned into, John, is that you could say that it was maybe a mistake that the Cardinals didn't get Lindsley and had to give up a third-round pick to secure his services, which when you're talking about you know other teams bidding in, like you said, the Cardinals had the ability to beat other teams when it came to draft picks. I would have probably felt like, hey, I would have seen, hey, call the bluff, see if you only can give up a fifth, maybe just dare the Raiders to, you know, they've already announced they're going to cut him. They've got very little leverage. What I wonder is if changed at least, John, is... When the Cardinals and all of that interest came available, I, I wonder if there was either another team that came in or if Arizona was essentially put on the spot. And like we said, the positive of this deal is you're getting a pro bowler who's still got plenty of tread left on the tires for the rest of Kyler's rookie contract. That is the opportunity. The cost is a third-round pick, which 
when you're talking about Cardinals needs, you're like, okay, could you target, you know, a wide receiver or a running back in that range, maybe a developmental guard. You're giving that up, but now you're not having to talk about, like, the alternative, which I had seen was, well, you're paying a one-year deal to Alex Mack, and you're probably either trying to trade back from 16 to draft the likes of a Creed Humphrey or trying to do whatever you can to secure a Landon Dickerson just so that way you have a future at the position. By spending a third-round pick, you're keeping those two picks for other and potentially greater needs. You're getting a far better deal on Hudson. He currently has one year left on his deal with two voidable years at the end of his contract for $9 million. It would not shock me if the Cardinals could even convert some of his salary into a signing bonus, be able to push some of that salary back, and then be able to get a bit more guaranteed money sent his way. You're getting more cap flexibility than you would be from signing Lindsley. To me, John, I think that means that it's worth it. But the biggest reason why it's worth it is you're taking talent, adding it around Kyler Murray, and that's going to set up a no-excuses season for Steve Keim and for Cliff Kingsbury, who at this point, John, are acting and, like we guessed, spending and trading picks like like they were knowing they're in potentially their last season if they don't manage to turn the ship around and improve upon the Cardinals' 8-8 season. Yep, the national media is catching up with what you and I have been speculating about since the end of the season, that the general manager and the, and the head coach could very well be replaced uh, if they don't make the postseason. They have to win. They know it. They're in the toughest division of football. It only gets more difficult by the day, and these are the kind of moves that reflect that. These are not long-term moves in the sense that these aren't cornerstone players for the next half decade. Rodney... And J.J. Watt, and we'll talk about a certain receiver they signed today next, but these are trendsetters and, and leader, leadership presence, mental and physical toughness can't be understated from these two individuals that will be trendsetters on the line of scrimmage that they did not have. You look at J.J. Watt and Rodney Hudson, and you go back to that Week 16 loss against C.J. Beathard and the visiting, quote-unquote, visiting San Francisco 49ers who had nothing to play for were living essentially in Arizona because of things that were going on, I believe, with with wildfires or flooding. I can't remember what it was. And you got whooped, and you missed out on the playoffs because of it. The, this is this this is the kind of signing and sense of urgency that reflects that, and that goes on Kingsbury and Kime themselves. Kime, to his credit, knows what he's good at. This he's the best at evaluating pro personnel, elite level players via the trade market. He's not great in free agency. He's probably pretty average. I would say he's below average in the draft. He is elite at acquiring talent via a trade. Carson Palmer for a late-round pick. Chandler Jones once upon a time for a second-round pick. DeAndre Hopkins, of course, last year for an expiring running back contract or an expensive running back contract and a second-round pick. And now one of the three best centers in the NFL, undisputedly for a third-round pick, pick 79. Uh, I mean, kudos to Steve. He knew what he had to do. And I think, Blake, it, it's also worth mentioning that you know Kyler Murray is evaluating this franchise just like we all are. He's waiting to see what kind of moves they make, how much of a competitor, how willing this, you know, are they the Bengals, right? Are they the Chargers historically that don't spend money, that aren't active in free agency, that don't make the right moves, that aren't invest? I mean, this is a move to invest in your quarterback long-term. Yesterday's move to re-sign Kelvin Beecham, who was, I think, the second-best lineman they had last year, was a move to invest in Kyler Murray. 
you are not a liability up front anymore, and you have a mobile quarterback. It's a weird position for the Cardinals historically to be in, but this is... And they signed DJ Humphreys, John. That was the other thing. They signed Humphreys before we even got into that season. Right. They talked about how they even drafted a guy in Josh Jones. We were wondering if the Cardinals were even going to be able to get him with that third-round pick. He's in line to potentially be a starter. You're seeing at least a lot of the trend of being able to put together a not just a NFL suitable line after that disastrous 2018 season, but trying to make it a strength yeah, of Josh, this team. <laughs> Josh Rosen weeps when he sees what the 2021 Cardinal offensive line is going to look like because it's night and day what he experienced that season. But it's the best collection of talent on paper with or without Justin Pugh if they opt to move on from him or restructure that they've had since they've moved to Arizona. It's better than the 2015 group that had Valdir and Ayupati in their prime, Ayupati coming out of his prime. That's how much I think of Rodney Hudson, and that's how much I like some of these young interior offensive linemen that the Cardinals have. And listen, if you're Mason Cole, it's difficult. This is a team that drafted you in the third round out of the University of Michigan that thought you were going to be their center for the next decade, decade plus. And I thought he showed a lot of toughness, especially his first season with the team. Was the only individual on that 2018 offensive line for the Cardinals to start all 16 games with Sam Bradford and Josh Rosen. But just hasn't been good enough. I think his best position is probably guard. But right now, as you know, we shake out the 2021 Arizona Cardinal offensive line, he will probably be the sixth lineman like he was Kingsbury's first year. And there's nothing wrong with that. He can play tackle. He can play center. He can play guard. Uh, I have no problem with that. You've got Josh Jones now. Is he going to start at left guard? Is, J- is Justin Pugh going to be around with $11 million cap hit? Uh, of course, Justin Murray got a nice contract last year. You know, Lamont Gilliard showed some promise, especially against Washington last year. They've got real depth for the first time in what seems like forever. Now, they could still address, you know, a need or two on the offensive line in the draft looking long term. But Beecham and Hudson are both signed, Blake, for the next two years. I expect both of them to be with the Cardinals, barring something unforeseen for the next two years. Humphrey's deal escalates after this year so really it's it's locked in on the guards and what you're going to do you didn't spend a third round pick on Josh Jones to let him sit on the bench and you didn't give Justin Murray that nice extension and start him at the end of last year I would assume to let him sit on the bench so to me the odd man out is Justin Pugh I don't know anything I am this is purely speculatory but every single eight-figure guard that is not elite has either been restructured or released. And I would put an emphasis on released since the start of this pandemic cap-stricken free agency period. The cards are just a little over $4 million over the cap as we record this, with a lot of moves still left to be made. They need to sign, in my opinion, at least two more corners. We think they're going to bring in a back. They'd like to bring down Arnold back. They need some cash. And one of the biggest moves that they can make is they can say, well, now that we have Rodney Hudson, an elite presence, a veteran presence at center, and we've got two high-end tackles now with Beecham and Humphreys, we can go a little bit of an inexperienced route at guard, not an experienced in talent, I would say. I think they both Josh Jones and Justin Murray have big-time upside for maulers at the guard position, but you got to be able to, to get them in there and live with some early season mistakes. But Justin Murray will have been under Sean Coogler's tutelage for now his third year. Josh Jones was not redshirted last year. Remember, he was active, I believe, for all 16 games, saw some time as the extra tackle. And then we've got Coogler on the record in February saying that he's got positional flexibility and can play guard. Well, to me, throughout this whole endeavor, that is signaled if they are able to land a Lindsley or a Hudson, 
then they're able to pivot off of, if they want to, uh, the expensive Justin Pugh, who, by the way, if you remember last September, there was a rumor by, I can't remember what national media pundit it was, uh, I think it was Albert Breer, that the Cardinals were actively shopping Justin Pugh. He had a decent season, was their best interior offensive lineman, but that wasn't saying much. I think they want to go younger and less expensive at guard, Blake. But we've talked about how Pugh and Kennard were two potential cap casualties for Arizona. I think at least Kennard, depending on what the market would hold, seems like he could be a guy who saves them some money if they need it to. Uh, Potentially, maybe he's better in coverage, and that's part of where he's going to be more of their Hassan Reddick type. They do have Marcus Golden back, which we can get into some of these different um, areas now. They'd have to create a brand new spot by releasing Pew. Maybe you'd try to release and come back. I could at least see John just potentially keeping him and reworking some of that deal. But we'll find out what exactly is going on with the Cardinals. This is, again, a huge transfer of uh, teams who are close to the cap, or like the Raiders maybe may have cap space available, but maybe not as much cash on hand as far as with their move to Vegas. Um, the moves that we're going to talk about next, at least, are the moves before the official kind of, uh, you can call it tampering period, or uh, you could say, like I think they call it uh, legal tampering period started. Uh, the first big deal that went down with the Cardinals was the re-signing of Marcus Golden, and uh John, this is one of the moves that we talked about and expected. The question was going to be, were the Cardinals going to keep Hassan Reddick at the high price that he was likely to command on the franchise tag? The answer to that was no. The Cardinals are not going to look at that one year, tag him, and we kind of got to see his market in free agency was not huge. It was not strong. It was essentially a tag you and dare you to do it again type of deal. The Cardinals uh, keeping the likes of Marcus Golden, who... For how much he signed and for the productivity he said, maybe not in the sacks game the last few years, but the overall pass rush game, you took a look at how in 2016 when the Cardinals had him, they had Alex Okafor, who has since moved on to, I believe, the Saints and then the Chiefs from there. You look at having Ch- uh, it was Chandler Jones and then Calais Campbell at defensive tackle. What is interesting, John, is that year in 2016, though the Cardinals went 8-8, eight and eight, They had a top 10 offense, which is mostly, you know, David Johnson and Larry Fitzgerald, since the rest of their offense was just completely battered. And you had a top 10 defense that led the league in sacks with Marcus Golden. So that to me is interesting that you're bringing back a guy who essentially is the best complement that you could probably have on the open market. And as far as the price goes, there is just a really, really, like, let me see, I've got the numbers at least for that right here as far as a bargain. Um... Numbers that you have are, just give me a quick second here. Uh, we had talked about how the, and this is, this is what we can go into. It's basically a $2 million cap hit in 2021 if he's active all 16 games. If he hits all the incentives, it's $4 million. This is a two-year deal, John, for $5 million. So what we're talking about essentially is that you've got Golden for the next two years for $5 million, for how many pressures he brings, that is one of the first truly team-friendly deals that I have seen. Most team-friendly deals, when they say, will just be, hey, we'll take less of a pay hit now, 
and get more of it later. This is one that's going to be more likely relying on some of those escalators, and it would not shock me if Golden was able to hit a lot of those metrics, given the fact that he's going to have two of the all-time, or at least since 2011, uh, I guess all-time of this decade, sack leaders are going to be commanding the majority of the attention, not to mention Jordan Phillips up the middle as well, as guys being able to blitz, such as Buda Baker and Isaiah Simmons. And, John, you made a great mention about Golden, about how he loves to be an Arizona Cardinal. What do you think is going to be the impact of having him for the next two years on this Cardinals roster? Well, I think you you hit the nail on the head. He is actually has a higher pass rush win rate, and I, I never understood allowing him to leave. Um, back in 2016, led the team 12 and a half sacks more so than Chandler Jones. That was in Marcus's second season in the NFL. He was a... Uh, ascending player then he tore his ACL in 2017 2018 you had him trying to rebound from that with a new coaching staff Steve Wilkes trying to run a 4-3 defense and so when Wilkes was was subsequently fired and Cardinal ownership wanted to bring back Marcus Golden but they didn't have a clear direction of where they were going to be defensively they had had communication with him he was trying to test the market and then eventually got swooped in by the Giants I think took less money from the Giants to, because I, I think he felt a little bit spurned by the Cardinals with the way they handled his development. I mean, he was somebody, Steve Kime was on the record of saying, I, I, you know, what are we going to have to pay Marcus Golden one day? I think that was shortly after the Chandler Jones extension. That's how highly they thought of him early in his career. Of course, he has 10 sacks for the Giants on a one-year contract. They let him just hit the streets, don't offer him any money, slap that weird tag on him where they got his, the rights reverted back to him because he had no market in free agency. The Cardinals had communicated with Marcus Golden early in the offseason of 2020. I know I'm going all the way back, but I kind of has to go full circle here. Um, we're in communications with his reps. I know that. And, and then Devon Kennard was cut, and they said, well, he's a better fit for what Vance wants to do. And that turned out not to be the case, so much so that the Cardinals benched Devon Kennard even after Chandler Jones went down, started Reddick, and then started Marcus Golden after dealing a six-round pick to bring him back midseason last year. Golden responded, I thought, was very strong in his roughly nine games with the team, and I think he's still somebody, Blake, that if you give him enough snaps could reach double-digit sacks. Now, what you lose with Reddick now gone is Golden does not have that pure athleticism to be able to cover passes, to tip balls, to play sideline to sideline. He, he plays the run better. He's more of a well-rounded player. And I think that that's the difficult part of watching him leave. And he leaves on a similar deal that the Cardinals have given AJ Green six years, $2 million, excuse me, $6 million, $2 million in incentives up to $8 million for his college coach uh, from Temple that now coaches Carolina. But I think that Purely from a pass rushing standpoint, if you need a player to get after the quarterback, Golden is better at that. But what I would caution fans is that Golden is still lacking in some of the quintessential, well-rounded edge players, what they need to survive for every, nearly every snap in the NFL. And so the Cardinals, I think, are best served to bring back Dennis Gardeck, Gardeck who's coming off an ACL, and I think to find a developmental pass rusher in the draft one of these next two years. But bottom line, when you have J.J. Watt, Marcus Golden, and Chandler Jones now on your front seven, and the Cardinals were already, think about this, they were already fourth in sacks last year, and they only had one of those individuals for half the year, me and Marcus Golden, and now you get all three of them all year. It's going to be what they hang their hat on defensively. It's why I think that they have been reluctant to sign a big-name corner. They're going to go with a pressure front that, Blake, you and I and several others have talked about off-air. 
Uh, I'm excited for Marcus because he's so pr- prideful. He said he contemplated retirement just because he was putting on all this work and just didn't have a chance to showcase it and feels undervalued by the league, and I would, I would agree with him. It's been put out by multiple media sources that, based on his advanced metrics, like he is a high-end pass rusher. He may not be an elite-caliber player that's worth $80 million with $50 million guaranteed, but for two years and $9 million, and his base salary is under $2 million this year and under $3 million next year. For somebody who I, like, it would not surprise me at all if we woke up, if I fast forward and I woke up in, on January 1st, 2022, and Marcus Golden had 10 to 12 sacks, would not surprise me in the slightest. I think he's that kind of player. So with him and Chandler Jones back together again, you're running it back from 2016. It made all the sense in the world. I pushed for it last year. I was disappointed they they opted to sign for Kennard. Like you mentioned, Kennard, I expect to be a post-June 1st cut candidate, could save roughly $7 million. No one's talking about him. No, nobody from the team site mentions him. Everybody's talking about Gardeck and Watt and Kylie Fitz, who was tendered at outside linebacker. You, you of course, could find Uh, a developmental guy in the draft so I just think that you've got to feel good about Golden coming back and as far as Reddick goes you know it's a one-year prove-it deal in Carolina I'm sure if it goes well uh, they will extend to him and now he gets to play opposite uh, Brian Burns but it's a little bit unconventional because they run a 4-3 and Reddick's not a 4-3 defensive end he's a 3-4 outside linebacker so are they going to have him play will linebacker you know there's there's already speculation on Twitter as if it's a great fit for him I think that's the biggest disappointment of seeing him leave is Vance Joseph really maximized what Hassan Reddick was. That's a really athletic pass rusher that on any given year in the right role could get you eight to 12 sacks. And, and that's what he did for Arizona. And you know, Steve Kime has had a lot of misses in the first round. I do not consider Reddick one of those misses just of how poorly the Cardinals have handled his development. You know, we, I'm sure, both wish Hassan the best of luck. Um, he's still young enough to make some money in this league. I hope that he does. But for the Cardinals, I mean, you're going all in with 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 guys that you know. They know Marcus. They know what he brings to the table. They know he, the passion he has for this organization. And they've got Chandler Jones and J.J. Watt. And I think we're a matter of weeks, not very long from an, from an announcement that J.J. Watts has a restructure extension with the team. These guys are going to be around in this core group defensively now in this front seven. They're kind of all in with each other, Blake. The Cardinals already did sign him. It looked like from how the deal went down, it was only about a $4.9 million cap hit, despite making you know about 14 to $15 million a year. So tack on some incentives. It's important to remember with Golden, this is from um, Justice Mosqueda at Jumosk, who, again, agree with this, and we've seen this statistically, that most sacks at the NFL are effort slash hustle or coverage sacks. Watch a cut up, and you'll see how many get home in five steps. The answer, not that many. So pressure is more important than the raw sack numbers. And they happen more frequently. Now, what's funny, at least, is that the uh, you know someone even replied and said, "Yeah, this is all true. Unless you're Chandler Jones, then you just get the sack anyway." It was the intention, and that I think at least shows a lot of what this Cardinals identity is going to be trying to get pressure with four. We've seen that in part because they have not signed any cornerbacks yet. They're trying to put a lot of emphasis on being able to get to the passer and being able to protect the passer. And we've seen that especially with how in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in their Super Bowl. Now, a couple more moves to be able to get to the. Cardinals do bring back a couple of their core special teamers. Where they bring back, as you said, Dennis Gardeck. We already talked about a few weeks ago that they had re-signed linebacker Tanner Vallejo to a two-year deal. He's a guy that you can trust in coverage enough when you're being able to either play the run or be able to... He's a little undersized, but as far as his instincts and motor... 
Uh, he's a guy that if you're going to be dropping back the likes of Isaiah Simmons to safety in some packages, he can fill that linebacker role and you'll be able to trust him. He, I believe, had that big game-breaking play against the Seahawks this year when they had lost um, some of their other players. You're also talking about how the Cardinals have returned um, Zeke Turner on a restricted free agent tag, as well as... Um, I believe it was Kylie Fitz. And then, of course, Dennis Gardeck, who, despite the ACL tear, was incredibly productive as a pass rusher. Hopefully, with his seven sacks, he'll be back and be able to fill some of that role. The biggest other move, at least, John, that we can talk about with Marcus Golden coming back is a two-year deal for Kelvin Beecham. We mentioned a bit of this already with how the Cardinals can use that flexibility with him and Hudson. And it's a spot where it seems like, even though we talked about Jones being a valuable tackle, the fact that you can move a guy over to guard just because of that versatility, it shows how important it is like if Jones gets on the field at the right tackles position Calvin Beecham's on a two-year deal let's say that you know DJ Humphreys is having an issue or two Beecham could slide over you could then say hey we can put Justin Murray at tackle or put him at guard and Josh Jones by adding that flexibility it just allows you as the Cardinals to be able to have opportunities because there are guys who will miss games and go down uh, you can look even at the Chiefs this year in the Super Bowl when they ran out of depth. That was essentially it for their entire offense, despite the fact that they had Patrick Mahomes. Let's talk about the other big signings of the day. We have kicker Matt Prater, who signs as a 36-year-old. He's got the tied for the longest kick in NFL history. That's, of course, at Mile High Stadium, a place that has a lot of long kicks with the thinner air up there. He's likely to replace Zane Gonzalez. He's on a two-year deal. A lot of older guys who are here. Andy Lee is back. He's going to be 38 when he plays this year. But as far as older players go, this is the one I want to get your input on, John, before we kind of do a quick preview of what might be next for the cards. A.J. Green signing a one-year $6 million deal. Incentives go up to $8 million. A lot of wide receivers were on the market. We had speculated some of the types as far as, you know, Brashad Perryman, maybe a longer deal for T.Y. Hilton. Maybe this one seems to come a bit out of left field for a lot of Cardinals fans, especially since they're not, you know, paying the price for a Will Fuller or paying for a Curtis Samuel, who, as I'm reading, this i'm getting the notification just signed with the uh, washington football team what are your thoughts on this aj green signing is this a kind of steal for the cards with the one-year deal is this going to be a spot where we're talking about a terrell suggs or robert alford more than maybe a jermaine gresham what, what are your thoughts on uh the former Bengals pro bowler coming to the cards yeah, I we felt pretty good about kind of knowing where the tea leaves were with a lot of these Cardinal signings. We thought they'd have interest in bringing back Golden. We knew they were going to go after a big-name center. This one came out of left field. We expected them to find a veteran presence receiver on the outside. We didn't think they would be in that first-tier group that really has not transpired yet. Juju Smith-Schuster, Kenny Galladay, uh, if you want to put Will Fuller in there. That group has not moved yet as we're recording this on March 17th. The mid-tier group, the second and third-tier group of free agent receivers have started to move recently, and it's because some of these guys are taking prove-it deals, and I think this is one of them. This is an A.J. Green that is not the same clearly as what he once was, 33 years old. Throw the tape away from last year. It's not great. He didn't play in 2019. 2018, he was solid. 2017, he was spectacular. The Cardinals are hoping that they get somewhere in the middle of 2017 and 2018 A.J. Green. Now, one year, $6 million, uh, it's, that's chump change to Michael Bidwell. That is, I mean, it's throwaway money. It's, it's 
It's not going to hamper them from doing anything. I think the biggest thing... Yeah, it's the prove-it deal that the, the Panthers handed to the likes of Hassan Reddick. Right. Same thing. Right, and I think the biggest thing that people are freaking out about is, is, is he going to take snaps away from you know a rookie or something like that? The Cardinals play four wide receivers when they feel like it. If they've got the talent to do it, they have not. And this is what happens. Is this is the result of, of missing on too many draft picks at receiver. I mean, if Hakeem Butler had panned out the first pick of the fourth round, he would be playing this role right now. Christian Kirk has been an average player, has shown flashes of brilliance, and then has disappeared for weeks on end. Andy Isabella has not shown he is a competent NFL player. You know, and then you've got the Chad Williams of the world who make no impact. So, I mean, Steve has not shown outside of John Brown way back in 2014 that he can accurately draft and develop thousand yard receivers and that's with kyler murray so i think that we all expected them to go out and get a cost-friendly receiver um supposedly ty hilton was on that short list as well i think most of us would have preferred ty just because it's been so long since we've seen aj do it but the writing was on the wall they have wanted a big physical receiver an emphasis on big to help kyler murray on the outside they, they have shorter players at receiver outside of really Keyshawn Johnson and Hop. They don't have any receivers of note that are over six foot. Kirk and Isabella are small, and I think that that's part of the reason I saw flashes of really strong play from Dan Arnold, especially with his targets up, that he's a big guy. They want a big physical receiver, and the, the irony is they could have had one in DK Metcalf. Sorry to bring this up. If they had taken him over Andy Isabella, they didn't, and now they're still paying for it. So again, if you're freaking out about this move, if you think it's poor value, don't don't think it's going to affect anything other than it's a flyer. If it works out, great. If it doesn't, they're going to have other bodies to play at the position. I'm convinced they're going to take one in one of the first two rounds of the NFL draft. They could still sign another free agent at some point. You know, I would prefer a Brashad Perryman, somebody like that, or not a Brashad Perryman, but whatever. Brashad Perryman, I think is the corner or Brashad Breland is yeah, the Breland's the corner Perryman is the wide receiver and he's the speedy guy yeah and he's only 27 too I think the biggest thing that bothers people about this move is how old AJ is when in reality he's, he's a year younger than Emmanuel Sanders who a lot of us including myself would have liked more um I think that people just assume that the Cardinals don't know what they're doing they're just signing big names to sign big names I think that we're going to get a, a mo. I have no idea what this is going to what this is going to transpire, how this is going to look. I think we're going to get a motivated AJ Green to showcase to people that he's not washed. Now, do I think he's going to have a thousand yards and, and double digit touchdowns? Of course not. But I think in the vicinity of vicinity of six to seven hundred yards for a team that likes to throw the football, that likes to stretch the field, that wants somebody to take pressure off Hopkins that knows how to compete and catch the ball hot at the highest point in the air and at the very least can be a competent red zone target for Kyler I have no I have no issue with the move it was not my preference and it was not something I saw coming but I am I, I with the other moves that they've made bringing in Rodney Hudson and JJ Watt and Marcus Golden and bringing back Kelvin Beecham um, you know I'm not going to like every move, but that doesn't mean I don't understand it and can't get behind it. Um, there have been a lot of moves that I've scratched my head at historically that have, have worked out. And there's been a lot of moves that I've loved that haven't worked out. So I think we just need to let this play out. You know, the, the Twitter marks and the advanced metrics and the analytic people hated the move. But I, I just think the end of the day, like 
he's in a horrific franchise right now that has not won since Marvin Lewis was there. Zach Taylor has not shown to be a competent head coach. He has looked checked out. And, and it's, this is not the same scenario in the slightest, but once upon a time, Randy Mars was a part of an organization like that in Oakland, and he looked checked out, and everybody said his career was over, and he sat out and was traded to New England and had a renaissance. Fitzgerald, Larry Fitzgerald had a renaissance when he was 33 years old. Let's see an, a rejuvenated A.J. Green. Would it surprise anybody if we got tweets over the course of the summer from Albert Brooks or Adam Schefter or whomever that A.J. Green, AJ Green looks rejuvenated playing with Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins in sunny Arizona, coming from Cincinnati when he was at sunny Georgia playing college ball. It would not surprise, surprise me in the slightest. Let's just let this settle. Let's do a press conference. Let's see what kind of shape he's in and go from there. Yeah, John, the A.J. Green signing, there's two ways you can look at it. Like You can picture how Carson Palmer needed to leave that Cincinnati team in order to be rejuvenated. He was willing to retire. Green himself sat out the entire 2019 season. The concern, I think, like you mentioned, with some other fans looking at it has been the separation, what's going on as far as with his ability to make some contested catches, especially down the field. There's only one catch, I believe, of 20-plus yards that he made on the season now. Granted, some of those balls were not accurate, um, but he was targeted 100, 109, 107, 109 times. Only made 47 catches. He's trended down. If you look at 2018, he had about 700 or so yards. He had nothing on the stat block. He was the out for the entire season in 2019 due to injury and comes back for only 500 yards in 2020. So that's a spot where the question, of course, is how much of this is going to be a rejuvenation and how much of this will be, you know, talk of a rejuvenation only to see, um, you know, the him, you know, play in maybe 12 out of the 16 eligible games and not look as much of a factor on the field. What I do think the signing did, John, is it cemented if you were going to pay T.Y. Hilton you know, let's say a $25 million contract, say, you know, like $16 million guaranteed for three years. You're talking about realistically a two-year $8 million a year deal. To me, this move in one year with the escalations that are there shows that the Cardinals are probably going to still be looking to the draft, like you said, to get an upgrade. And that, I think, at least is the key. It also means that it's going to be up to Steve Kime, who notoriously has struggled to draft well. And that's, I think, the big question, John, as we kind of wrap this podcast up. What do we think the Cardinals will do next? Where could they pivot from this spot where now that we've seen they the biggest needs that they had, they filled the defensive line, they found an impact player, uh, they found an impact player on the offensive line, both a bit older, they're obviously going for it. They found a guy who at least is proven enough. It's not like this is a Kevin White type of deal. They found a guy who was proven in the past who's on a one-year deal. Where do we see next as far as for the biggest needs that this team has? I got to say, it looks like we're probably looking at cornerback. We're looking somewhat at tight end and somewhat running back, which you and I both kind of are in agreement that Mike Davis is the obvious name that seems to be the best fit for the Cardinals there. Yeah, I would agree. Those are the two positions. But I I still say I think Kime is going to pull out one to two more signings in the secondary. He has to. He has to get at least two more corners. Uh, And I think – like you mentioned, they're going with an all-pressure front. They're going to trot out a bunch of B to C level corners and see how that shakes out. And I would also say that Kime historically has tried to fill every need before the draft so he can kind of have an open mind. But I would agree with you. I, I think that Mike Davis at running back makes a lot of sense, would not 
discourage them from doing that and then taking the running back early and having a nice core group of, of running backs because you would assume any Davis contract would be for a year. Chase Edmonds contract expires after this year. You get a first, second, or third round rookie that can start then. Uh, eventually, that would be a nice coup for them. And then, of course, corner, if you find somebody and you're in love with him at 16, pull the trigger. Now, I think wide receiver is still very much in play at 16, given the talent that I think will be available. Bateman, Devontae Smith, just to name a few guys who I think could sniff around pick 16, especially if we get four or five quarterbacks that go before them. I also think that don't discount Kime trading down from 16 now without a third rounder or a fourth rounder after he gave it up last year in the Hopkins deal. So, um, or does he have, do we have a fourth round? Do we have a fourth rounder? No, the Cardinals got that fourth rounder last year um, where they used that to select, if I remember correctly, Rashad Lawrence after the likes of Lecky Fotu. Right. They had two last year, so they don't have a fourth rounder this year. So they don't have a third or a fourth this year. So I, I would. No fourth or fourth. That's going to be a long drop off. <laughs> yeah. I would think there's a great chance Kime trades down either in the second or the first round uh, just to recoup one of those two picks. But I, I think right now, if you had to ask me the hierarchy of what I think he's going to go with, um, it's going to be somebody who can make an impact year one. I think that includes running back. I, I think there's absolutely a chance they could take a first-round running back. I've said that for how many months, Blake? I think receiver. You get you get somebody at 16 that can ball. They're, they're going to have ample opportunities, especially with Christian Kirk and A.J. Green on, on what equates to one-year deals. Cornerback. Um, if you if you fall in love with a guy and you're committed to playing him under Vance Joseph, that that works for me. I, I would also say don't discount a disruptive defensive lineman, a five technique. I know they're seemingly you know loaded at the position with Watt and Jordan Phillips and Zach Allen and the two rookies they took last year, but I think you could never have enough defensive linemen, and they could move off Jordan Phillips after this year if he doesn't perform. So um, where I don't see them going now, Blake is. Uh, and I could be wrong here. I think that they're gonna. I think they're pretty set at tackle with Beecham and Humphreys. Um, I think they're set right now. Based on this group of edge rushers, it's not a good edge class. I don't think they're gonna take an edge rusher at 16. Certainly don't think they're gonna take a tight end because Pitts isn't gonna be there. And I don't think they're gonna take a quarterback. But other than that, going into the draft, I think they'll have all of their needs locked up. And I think they're probably going to go BPA at one of the few positions I mentioned. Absolutely, Yeah, John, the way it's lining up, at least, there's obviously cornerbacks to have. I would watch the name Malcolm Butler. That seems to be a fit for a one-year type of deal with experience. They've already brought back Robert Alford. Uh, we'll see what the Cardinals do next. Again, this is free agency. We'll be reacting to all of it. Uh, you can follow on revengeofthebirds.com. Uh, we always try to get the articles up. we got a whole team of people working on stuff this week. Our site writer, uh, Seth Cox, who manages the site, a lot of times he'll take some of those we're kind of having a whole bunch of duty this week for everyone taking that on so he can kind of spend some time with um, his kids with a baseball tournament um we're going to be back here at least if not later in the week on a short show for sure next week going over more of the moves in free agency with the cardinals in the meantime you can follow me at blake murphy seven on twitter uh, we've got some of our rapid reactions from our revenge of the birds writers have gone up on the site i'm kind of organizing compiling those john why don't you let the listeners know where they can find you and your content yeah, absolutely. Of course, revengeofthebirds.com here on the ROCB podcast. Now, as we move forward into, I think, draft season starts after free agency. And then I've uh, been churning out some periscopes, talking rapid reaction. Blake's done a nice job with his audio posts. So there is never a shortage of content here. If you need that, 
with the Arizona Cardinals. Tune in here on the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Blake, if you want to sign us out. Thank you again for listening, guys. We'll be back with more free agent news covering that for the cards and then finally getting into some draft talk. What do the Cardinals do now? They are one pick down from what they had. That pick is turning into Rodney Hudson. We'll be back on the Revenge of the Birds podcast next week with more reaction to more of the signings and a bit more talk about the future of Steve Kime and Cliff Kingsbury with all of this talent. Take care, everyone, and have a good one.